Thank you, Austin. The real beauty of that, of that video is it keeps me from having to sing Mick Jagger this morning. <laughs> yeah, and for that, for that we, are all, we are all grateful, yes. <laughs> the question of satisfaction. Satisfaction, fighting over toys. The, the um, Ecclesiastes is about the things that we, where can I find meaning? Where can I find satisfaction? Where, where, where can it be? And, we, and we, we clamor after it. We strive for it and yet don't find it. The, 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 the opening verses in chapter 1, if you, if you missed the start last week, and it is on the website, by the way, but he's, he starts out meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Everything is nothing. Empty, futile, striving after wind, trying to catch soap bubbles. That's what he's concluding about life, soap bubbles. Everything is nothing. If you caught those, uh, those Hebrew words, those two Hebrew words that are kind of a, uh, a, a washout background on your sermon notes, I wanted to leave that with you. Those are the two Hebrew words that are used for everything is nothing. There's one little difference between them. So easily what we thought was everything is changed into nothing. That's life. And if that's life, what's the use? What's the sense? If that's what happens... Where can I find satisfaction? What can fill then a life if those things don't? Well, Ecclesiastes 2 says in, the, in, the, in, 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 in words of Solomon, okay, let's give it a try. Let's give it our best effort. How can we find satisfaction? You want, it, you want to find it in partying. You want to find it in wine, women, and song. Solomon says, I tried it all. Partying? You have never partied like we partied in Jerusalem. You have never had women, he says, like I had women. You never had the stuff. You never had the accomplishments. You never had the achievements the way I've had it. But did it satisfy him? Open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes Chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, one of the Bibles in front of you, then you'll find us on page 472. I say that because we don't turn to Ecclesiastes very often, necessarily. But it's, it's worth turning to this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Here, here are the words given to us of Solomon. I thought in my heart... Come now, I will test myself with pleasure to find out what is good. I want to find out what's good, what's meaningful... Maybe it's pleasure and happiness, but that proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. So this is what I did. I undertook great projects. I built houses and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees. I made reservoirs of water groves. Uh, of flourishing trees i made i bought f- male and female servants and i had other servants who were born in my house i i owned more herds and flocks than anyone in jerusalem before me i amassed silver and gold for myself the bank was full more than the treasure of kings and provinces i acquired men and women singers and a harem of women as well the pleasure of men I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all of this, my wisdom stayed with me. I, 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 
when I was sober, I made preparations and I put some boundaries up so that when I could party, the kingdom wouldn't fall apart. I, kept, I tried to keep wisdom in the mix. I tried to keep a clear head, at least at times. But I denied myself, verse 10, nothing that my eyes desired. If there was pleasure to be found, I was going to find it. If there was fulfillment in pleasure, I would be fulfilled. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all of my work. The chase excited me. And this was the reward for all my labor. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, I gave it a good look. What I had toiled to achieve, everything was nothing. A chasing after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Life on earth, as life on earth, I found it empty. You know, I, I, I thought about that, and I, I considered this as, as uh, Solomon's perspective in the idealism of youth. Here he is, he's going to go after life and all of, the, all, of the, all of the ambition of it. I can be satisfied. And those first, if you, if you were to break this, this chapter into life stages, so to speak, and I'm not going to try to argue that that's the intent, but it's interesting in our context, we see things play out this way. I'm going to pursue it all. I'm going to go after it all. And so you have this idealistic ambition of youth. Life is for the taking. The, the, the uh, fruit is for the picking. The cars are for the driving. And yet, he says, it's not enough. As he got a little older, he realizes, you know, you get ahead, you play by the rules, and he starts, starts uh, building a portfolio, and he starts moving from one house to a bigger house and trading up, upsizing, and he moves in his career. He climbs higher in the skyscraper. And yet, in midlife, let's see where that takes him. Verse 12, I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and all madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? What more could somebody else achieve that I have not achieved? I saw that wisdom is better than folly. Yeah. Just like light is better than darkness. And the wise man has eyes in his head while the fool walks around in darkness. I came to see that when I put my mind to things, I could accomplish something, and that seemed good. Then I thought in my heart that the same end, the same fate overtakes them both. I thought in my heart the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What do I gain from being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. For the wise man like the fool will not long be remembered in days to come. Both will be forgotten like the fool. The wise man too must die. And here I am in midlife crisis. Here I am thinking I've played by the rules, I've, I've, I've gotten ahead, I, I've gathered the, what everybody said would matter, and I found that it really doesn't. And I'm looking ahead, realizing my end is closer to me now than my beginning. And it's hurriedly sweeping up upon me. And I trade the minivan for a sports car. And I try to regain something of my youth. I try to relive. And, you know, for me, somebody asked me, your ideal car, oh, yeah, let's go with a Mustang, like a 67, 68. The car I could never have in high school. But what am I trying to do? I'm trying to get back there. It, realizing the best of it. Man, if I realized high school as it was, that's the last place I want to go back to. Huh? But here we are in Solomon's midlife crisis, and he's saying, what is there? Why have I bothered to hold on to wisdom? Why have I bothered to play by the rules? The rules don't matter. They don't help. 
I'm going to die just like the fool anyway. I might as well get everything I can. If, if all I've got is one go around, I might as well squeeze this world like a lemon for all that I can get out of it. Old, life still, or old age still creeps up on him. In verse 17, so I hated life. Listen to Solomon now as the bitter old man. I hated life. Because the work that was done under the sun was grievous to me, all of it meaningless, a chasing after wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I leave them, I must leave them to one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless, so my heart began to despair of my toilsome labor, all that I've built, for a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. And then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. You know what Solomon's thinking about? That son-in-law. Man, I have worked so hard and for what? To leave it to that clown. Why was it worth any of that? Huh? That's what he's thinking. What's the use? I'm going to leave it to these spoiled children. Imagine that richest man you know. I love that one John Grisham novel. The uh, Is it the Testament? Where you have this very rich but quite strange old man. And he, he's got all of these uh, spoiled family members. And they're all just counting the fortune that they're going to receive. And he has another will. <laughs> and he jumps out the window. And uh, one... One young lady off in the jungles of South America is the one who inherits all of this rather than these spoiled children. He must have read Ecclesiastes chapter 2. What's the use? Huh? What's the use after all? And we sit here and we say, yeah, that's right. People like Mick Jagger, they're saying, I can't get no satisfaction. And we're saying, yeah, that's right, because you're not looking in the right place. And I say, that's right, neither are you. Why is it that Ecclesiastes sounds so relevant to us as well? We are looking, typically, for our satisfaction, for meaning in life, for fulfillment in the same places as everybody else in many ways. I wanted to play another video for you. It's a song. It's a song some of you have heard, some of you have not. It's, there's cityscapes. This is real life. Uh, but keep in mind, as you'll see in the, in the third verse, this is the expression of a believer in Christ. And yet he says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Just as I was sitting watching that again, I remembered the uh, mall scene, the, the hurry, the frantic uh, going to and fro. And I have a new uh, theme song for the mall now. When I go shopping, that's what it's like. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. We try to, we try to fill that in so many different ways. Like a, a toddler screaming for a favorite toy. I remember a story from my youth. My sisters reminded me of this. This is the sum of my young life before I have my own memories. This is, this is all that I know about it. There I was sitting in my play, playpen screaming, Mommy, I want my dolly. Mommy, I want my dolly. One of my sisters, trying to help, but she probably had the dolly, says, What do you want? 
That's it. That's the sum of my childhood memory. That, that, little, that little episode. That we, we want something so bad, and then we grow up, and we, what did I want that for? And that's what spiritual growth in the Christian life is as well, isn't it? We, we still want things. And it might be achievement. It might be affirmation. But you know, the affirmation is empty because those affirming aren't important enough. The, the achievement is fleeting because there will be another failure. There will be someone greater. It will collapse under its own weight. The, the, the pleasure, what we seek for pleasure, it's like a drug needing an ever-increasing dose in order to keep satisfying us. Even taking our ease. You remember the, remember the rich man had a great harvest? What am I going to do with all my harvest? What am I going to do with all my stuff? I know. I'll build a bigger barn. I will move up. I will trade up. I'll get a larger house, a three-car garage to fill with my stuff. And what does Jesus says this very night? He said, I'm going to take my ease. And Jesus says, you have no idea, buddy. Even taking our ease, taking our rest, going on vacation, vacation, as good as rest is. But it doesn't satisfy. We were made to work. We were made to conquer. We were made to, to serve and not to be served. You know, it's interesting as I go through Ecclesiastes chapter 2, it's interesting to me what Solomon did not try. 30 times, 30 times in this chapter, he refers to my, he refers to I. It's about him. I did this. I did this. I pursued that. I wanted this. 20 times it's my or myself. This is all about Solomon. And all about taking in, what can I grab after to fill my empty bucket? And nothing sticks. Nothing satisfies. What he doesn't try when he gets his musicians and dancers to entertain himself, he doesn't try seeking to give joy to others. When he uses money to bring pleasure and possessions to himself, he doesn't try giving away meeting the needs, lifting the burdens of others. In fact, the end of Solomon's reign, the beginning of his son's reign, was crippled because of the immense tax burden that Solomon had put upon the people as he's gathering in for himself and his pursuit of something for him and the nation that would seem to matter. It's what he doesn't try that I think is most important. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says that godliness... With contentment is great gain. Verse 7 says, nothing in, nothing out. You, could, you brought nothing into this world, you will take nothing out. Next time you hear about El Nino in the weather, think of that. Nino, nothing in, nothing out. Godliness with contentment is great gain. The thing you will take with you into eternity is godliness. God is most glorified in us, John Piper says, when we are most satisfied in him, not all the other stuff. You know, I'm going to unpack this more next week, but in contrast to the gathering, the pursuing, the grabbing, and the getting, go back to the garden. What was it we were made for? We were made to relate with God and to represent him to all of creation. We were made both for, to, to, to partake of the food and the fellowship and relationship with God, and we were given work before the fall. We were given work to do, and that work was representing God to the rest of creation as the ones made in God's image. God's regents 
over all the rest of creation. That's what humanity was made for, okay? To relate with God and in relationship with God to represent him. Okay, you got that? There is your R&R. Relating with God and representing him. Now, if Ecclesiastes 2 represents a pursuit of futility, then what will be more than enough? Look at verse 24. Verse 24 of Ecclesiastes 2. A man could do nothing better than to eat and to drink and to find satisfaction in his work. This too I see is from the hand of God. God gave us even from the beginning that craving for fellowship. And don't you have that closeness of relationship when you share food together around the table? And that good work that we've been given, which, as I said, is representing God to the rest of his creation. Okay, take that concept, the things pursued in Ecclesiastes 2 and the futility of it. And let's find that same word again, that same word futility in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, based on the new life that we have been given in Christ, that we were dead in transgressions and we were dead, could do nothing to help ourselves, God made us alive in Christ Jesus. By, by grace, you have been saved through faith in Christ. Having been saved, having been made alive in Christ, we've been given new life, and, he, and chapter 4 of Ephesians is now a call to live in that new life. Verse 17, so I tell you this, I insist on it in the Lord, he says. This is important. Underline this. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, in the futility of their outlook, in the futility of their wisdom. What they believe will matter. Leave that futility that Solomon is stumbling through in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 of possessions and pleasure and achievement and recognition and status and all of that. Leave that for something else. What is the something else? How then do I step into the fulfillment that God has for me in this new life that I can already enter into? What would that look like? Now, I can't give you just a how-to. I can't tick off a checklist. And if you do this, 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 you will be fulfilled. But I can point you to the direction of fulfillment. And as you walk there with God in relationship with him and representing him, that will satisfy your soul in ways that nothing else can. All right? What does that look like? Ephesians 4, start at verse 25. Ephesians 4, verse 25. Therefore, each of you, okay, put off falsehood and speak truth truthfully to his neighbor, for we're all members of one another. I'm speaking truth in community together with others, not lying, not deceiving, but I'm open, I'm vulnerable, I'm speaking truth for others in relationship together because we are members of one another. In anger, I'm not sinning, but there will be times when I will need to confront but I will not hold that as a grudge. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil a foothold. I will relate to others in a way that is truthful, not deceptive. And we're going to find out as we go further here, in a way that is for their good, in a way that where my words build others up, 
rather than tearing them down. Okay? It's not about what me and what I want other people to believe about me. It's what's good for us, what's good for you. Speak truthfully in your anger, do not sin. Look at verse 27. No, or, I'm sorry, verse 28. The one who has been stealing must steal no longer, but rather work doing something useful with his own hands. Why? Well, because stealing was bad. Everybody should work for themselves, right? Don't be a taker. You know, get your own stuff. That sounds like Ecclesiastes 2. This verse goes a little farther. Let each one work with his own hands. Why? So that he will have something to give to those who are in need. That giving for us is better than getting. It is better to give than to receive. Boy, we should stop and do the offering now. It is better to give and to receive. We, we, our, our soul is satisfied in a new way when I'm giving instead of getting. When I'm considering somebody else's need rather than my own. It's weird. It doesn't make sense. It certainly doesn't sound like Ecclesiastes 2. And Solomon didn't go there. But it will enrich your heart. Considering others' needs and wants rather than my own. That it may benefit others. Oh, here, here we are, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But only what is helpful for building others up. Unwholesome talk, criticism, gossip, backbiting, or, or an off-color joke that demeans somebody, often in a way that will make me feel a little better about myself. No unwholesome talk out of your mouth. Why? Just because that's bad? Well, yes, it's bad, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs to benefit those who listen. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit whom you were sealed by the day of, the, of redemption. And the opposite of grieving that would be make the Spirit within you sing. And this is how you do it. Others instead of me. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Let all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every other form of malice. Let that get rid of, but be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. You say, but you don't know what he did. You don't know what she did. I don't have to know. I know what I did. And I know what I've been forgiven. And you know, when I step into forgiveness, that costs me. When I step into forgiveness that, that lets go of something that I feel I have got a valid right to hold on to against that person, I taste something there of Christ's forgiveness of me experientially. It's not just cognitive any longer. It's not just something I've heard, believed, accepted, and am counting on, but now it's something I've experienced at a new level because I step into it. Forgiving one another rather than having debts paid to us in full as we would want to demand. What is this about? This is about representing our God to the rest of his creation. Chapter 5 and verse 1, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Therefore, as his dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. If he is more than enough, if Jesus really is more than enough, then my stepping into something more of Christ will be more than enough for me. You see it? How do I do that? With my words, today, 
How do I do that? With giving today. With building one another up today. With truth, even when it tells something about me that I would rather keep hidden. Considering what somebody else needs and giving myself to that need. Loving others more than myself, even as Christ gave himself for me. As I step into that in something today, my heart's filled. Because that's what I was made for. And in the fall, we stepped away from it. And yet in the new life in Christ Jesus, we're called back to it. By the spirit within us, we're enabled to it again. And then that spirit within us is, not gr- is grieved in Ecclesiastes too, Because we can't get no satisfaction there. But the spirit within us sings when we're living it in chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians. You know, what if? What if we represent God best not by being served but by serving? Not by gathering but by giving. Not by climbing up but rather by lifting up. What if we represent God not by the applause that I received but whom I applaud? Not by praise given to me but whom I've praised. What if it really is as Jesus said, the last will be first? And the first will be last. What if it really is better to give than to receive? What if the least of these will really be the greatest? What if what has seemed to matter so much actually, as it turns out, doesn't matter at all? What if you not only can't take it with you, But what you got there, you'd even be ashamed to tell people that it mattered. What if, after climbing so hard to the top of the pile, the Lord Jesus comes and he makes everything right in a way that turns out that what you thought was the top was actually the bottom. Ephesians 4 protects us from that. We'll step into loving one another as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. We will already be stepping into that eternal life that has been given to us by faith, by believing in Jesus Christ who already died for us. I don't know about you, but I want to be satisfied. And yet still I hunger. I hunger for more of what Ephesians 4 describes. I hunger for more of, of that, that which my Savior invites me to. I hunger for less and for more. Isaiah chapter 55 says, You who are hungry, come, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why do you spend money on that which isn't bread? Why do you labor for what does not satisfy? Listen to me, God says, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear. Come to me, God says. Hear me, and your soul will live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. 
That's what this table's about. It's about everlasting bread. It's about bread that you cannot buy, but that was given for us. The bread of heaven who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. As those who are serving come forward at this time, I'm going to invite you as well. We're going to distribute the bread. We'll partake of it together. We'll distribute the cup. We'll partake of it together. Join us. You don't have to be a member of this church to join us. You need to be a member of Christ's church. If you have believed on Jesus Christ as your Savior, as the one who died for you, then take of that bread as it comes by. Bread that you couldn't buy but bread that has been provided for you. Take and receive that. Reflect on the salvation given to you in Jesus Christ. While we're reflecting during, during some inter- instrumental music, I invite you to reflect as well. Is there something I've been clamoring after? Is there something I've been holding on to that I need to let go in order to step into that life that has been promised me in Christ? When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, poor contempt on all my pride. I wanted us to come to this table of remembrance after we had heard from Ecclesiastes 2 because we come to this table remembering, but not a remembrance of, of guilt a remembrance of gratefulness. Gratefulness that our God has redeemed us not only from our guilt. He has redeemed us out of futility of life under the sun. He has given us life in his son, the Lord Jesus. And our Lord, on that night when he instituted this table, he took the bread and having broken it, he gave thanks Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you. We thank you that you gave your son, that he was the one who was broken in death. He was the one who was given to us. He is the one that we have received, that we have been given by you eternal life because we believe in Jesus. Lord, thank you for this life. Father, we hunger for it. We hunger not for this bread, although this bread reminds us of him. It is knowing him that we hunger for. And Lord, would you help us to step into life in ways where we will know him. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. And after he had given thanks, he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of him. You know the gospel The good news of Jesus Christ says that Jesus' death is more than enough for any guilt, for any sin, for any shame. It is more than enough. Do you believe that? The gospel also says that the life of Jesus Christ in us is more than enough. More than anything else this world could offer. Our Lord is more than enough. Not only in death, but in life. Do you believe that? Our Lord said, this cup 
is the new covenant in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink in remembrance of him. Heavenly Father, we confess this morning that Jesus Christ will be more than enough. His death is more than enough for us. We have received, we embrace his forgiveness. And so, Lord, his life is more than enough. The life that he gave to come and to serve rather than be served, that'll be more than enough for me too. Lord, to, to give rather than to receive will be more than enough. To please rather than be pleased will be more than enough. To build others up rather than lifting myself up will be more than enough. Father, even as we come to this offering now, as we do take a time then, whether it's a prayer request that we will dare to share, whether it is a, a indicating of ourselves to serve in some way that we place in that offering now, whether it is that portion out of what you have blessed us with in abundance that we give back to you first, not because we need to... Uh, give something to meet the needs, but because you are worthy of our own substance. Father, as we give of ourselves to you in worship, because you are more than enough, Lord, be pleased with what you receive. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all who believe said, amen.